My voice is slightly. When I spoke to you this morning, I hadn't spoken to anyone. I know, this morning, a... I sounded like I was speaking from the grave. But you don't smoke, around, do you? No, I just I've not been very well. I went to Edinburgh last week, and it rained, and I just wandered around with wet feet for four days. And so, well, everybody I know has had some. It. I had these scar. They're not even cold sores. They're like uh, I had like these cuts Chaplet. almost from the fucking weather. And everybody I know has had something hanging off their face because. We're going into Arctic weather and we're not supposed to be able to survive on that. We're not built for it. No, we're not. So everybody I'm meeting has got like bits of their face hanging off going, is this how man's supposed to live? The only time I've ever seen anybody with lips as bad as mine right now was Chris Bonington, who'd climbed Everest. <laughs> and he was on top of Everest and his lips were even in better condition than I was. And now Britain is like the top of Everest now. Oh, sorry. Hello, Jason Oh, yeah, Byrne. we started there, sorry. <laughs> I should introduce you there. Well, look, you Jason see... Byrne. Uh, hiya, Marcia. Hi, Marcia. Well, that's kind of typical of my interviews, <laughs> that most people, whenever they interview me, they just go, oh, we'll just press record now, they will be, because I just talk all the time. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com, and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Tell me about what you've just been doing. Well, you see, I'm going to uh, Melbourne on the 14th of March and according to everybody that's around me, that's like when the stock market closes down. So everybody is literally getting me to do everything before the 14th of March. So it's just like buy, buy, sell, buy, sell, sell, buy. And then there'll be a bell. I'll just go, it'll be like, market's closed. He's gone. So I, I've i just done the maddest things ever. Like, you know, I've done a movie. I did a movie in February. Uh, called Kill and Bono. Which has got like Pete Pothelsway and uh, Ben yeah. Barnes, who's Dorian Gray. I know, but I love all that because you see, when you do movies, you never meet any of these people oh, really? <laughs> unless they're in the scene with you. So I went in, I went in for a part which was, see, the whole movie is about you too, yeah, when they're in school and they're making their way up. But it's actually a true story. There was another band in the same class as them that didn't do as well. And there's Hot Press, which is a magazine in Dublin, the editor of the Hot Press, he wrote a, a book called uh, Bono is My Doppelganger, and that's what it's based on. So anyway, I went in for the audition, and um, the director met me, and, and it was for a kind of a, not a huge role, but a semi-big role, you know, and he really wanted me to do it, and then he went, I don't know if this was a compliment or not, he just said, your face is incapable of being serious on screen. <laughs> and I went, well, what do you mean? He goes, well... Be serious, you know, and I was like trying to be serious. And he goes, your face it doesn't change shape. You just have one of those heads that we're just you're just going to have to do comedy roles forever. So then he said, look, I'm really sorry, I can't give you that part because you're not matching up with the other guy. And he really wanted me to do it. So then he just said, would I be a receptionist in the hotel? In a really big scene where one of the main actors actually grabs me and all sorts of stuff like that. So they had to blow dry my hair. Did they? <laughs> yeah, into my hair in. Well, I have ready hair, red hair, whatever, but it's quite light. So they blow dried it by, I don't know, women will know this. They back combed it and blow dried it. With so, one of those big round brushes. Yeah, so now it looked like a kind of an afro. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an Irish man in the 80s with an afro. And then the the director, Nick, said, well, why don't you try and be gay? And I went, well, hello. And he went, okay, let's not do that. <laughs> There's only one line. And he went, just go back to the way you were. Oh, so I did that. So what's your line? Oh, no, a few lines. Can you give me one? Oh, yeah. Okay, this is the other guy. Oh, this is Ben. Ben Barnes. Yeah. He's the guy who played Dorian Gray. He's in the scene. Oh, okay. Anyway, he comes up going, <gasps> and he goes, he goes, is Bono here? And I say, no, there's no Bono registered here, sir. And he goes, 
what but there's a convention upstairs and I go uh, no I'm really sorry but there was nobody here by that name which is also this is kind of the rough version of it because I was able to kind of say what I wanted and then Bono comes down the stairs with his entourage <laughs> that's kind of a funny bit and I go oh that Bono oh him and then he gives me a big face looks at me you know and then uh, he grabs me across the counter so there was that kind of scene but it's a little bit longer yeah because what was great was the director went just say whatever you want then Ben and I was going you know in between cuts he was going what, what are you going to say I was going I don't know and he goes I'm crap at that. <laughs> what are you going to say? You know, I don't know. I just say something. He goes, "Oh, okay." So uh, it was fun, and I haven't been in movies in ages. And I was going, "I have to do more of them." But you did serious acting recently mm. in this short film. Which short film? Emily now? Song. Oh, that thing! Oh my god! Yeah, that's right. But we we actually made that about four years ago. Oh really? Yeah, where I had to be a serious dad. It was, yeah, it's well, like a short film about. Well, it made a mind asked me to do it, you know, and I went, "Okay, I'll do it." And he says, "There's no money in it, of course, because it's short." You know, and I went, okay, cool. He goes, but you will get to drive a DeLorean and you will get to drive a 1940s German motorbike with sidecar. And I went, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I ended up in the movie, my wife, it's, oh God. It won loads of awards in Belgium and Japan and the oddest places. Like, But my wife is dead in it and I have to raise my two boys on my own and I have no emotions apparently. And I'd completely forgotten about my two boys. I don't care about them anymore. So they get the tapes of their mother who read stories to them at bedtime, put them together and start ringing my phone as if making her talk to me. So I start going a bit mad when I can hear her, you know. That sounds brilliant. And I used to be in a band with her as well, me and her, which was a bit cheesy, like me singing away with her. And then at the very end, I go into their class to go in and say, I'm sorry. And I, but I drive to their school on a 1940s German sidecar. I can drive motorbikes like so it was just great crack because to drive an old motorbike is really difficult because uh, you need high revs you have to keep high revving it and let the clutch out very easy otherwise you'll just flip yourself over and if you don't rev it enough because it's old it'll just keep cutting out anyway so I got in there and uh, yeah <laughs> so what I had to do was I had to play their favourite song in the class and to show them I love them but I can't play the guitar. I just thought it was just hilarious, the whole thing. But it's serious. Like, there's a trailer for it online. And you, yeah, you yeah. thump a table. Oh, I do thump a table, yeah, because... And I go, eat your frozen chicken or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But with my Radio 2 show, which is the Jason Byrne show, that sketches and stand-up in front of a live audience. But the sketches is obviously is acting. And on Radio 4, and doing the odd half hour, which is all acting as well. So I'm loving it. But are you into doing, like, the serious stuff? I think... Yeah, you see, even though my face... Is, thanks is a tanks director, is incapable of being serious, but it's it's great fun being serious, you know what I mean? But I think I'd love to tackle a big Jim Carrey type role. Like, overacting's great fun, because we do a lot of that in the sketch show as well, you know? You also did that thing on, um, a few years ago on NBC, Alice in Wonderland. Oh my God, But yeah. with, like, Whoopi Goldberg and Gene Wilder and Ben That's Kingsley. 12 years ago or something. Is it really that long? It's the first thing I ever did on screen in my life. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I was a white rabbit's gardener. I had to dress up as a lizard or something. And I had never seen a studio. And this was in Shepparton Studio. They built the whole of Alice in Wonderland in all the warehouses. Like the big garden. I'm talking, these plants were like probably 15 feet tall. And we're walking among this garden and going, this is, I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want to do stand-up. <laughs> I only started doing stand-up. Went this, this, I'll do this. Did you get to... Well, you were saying like sometimes when you're in these things with other people. <laughs> the only people I met in that, yeah, because it was Whoopi Goldberg, Ben Kingsley, Gene Wilder, uh, Robbie Coltrane, all these people in me. Oh, I met Robbie Coltrane, sorry, in Angels when we were getting suited up. And he was smoking a cigar in Angels. Was he? Yeah. And he went, I suppose you're not supposed to smoke in here. Well, you can now. He says like that. 
Everybody's just sitting around him with a cigar. And then he went, am I going to be along in here? And then he went, no. And then they kind of measured his belly and he went, and he went fuck off. And he went. He was just kind of, oh, okay. My white rabbit was a guy called Kieran. I'll never forget him. He's not a dwarf or a midget. He's a small man. So he's perfectly in proportion. So he looks like a man who was shrunk in the wash. That's exactly what he looks like. He does a lot of stunts for kids and all. So he was a white rabbit. But he smoked as well, so it was very funny. They had to take the head off him. It was like a rabbit with a human head smoking. <laughs> so I was going, this is freaky stuff. And the other thing was, his head was animatronics. You know, that's like the... Animatronics is a robotic, moving Muppet, pulpus. When I'm talking to the right rabbit in the movie, the guy who's doing his voice is off actually controlling the rabbit with joysticks, moving his eyes and his mouth. And uh, his voice is also up in the ceiling. So you can't hear anything coming from the rabbit apart from... And it's around like, oh my God. They had to keep stopping because I kept laughing. I was going, I'm sorry. I said, I can't hear anything. All I can hear is... <laughs> so it was him. And then my assistant gardener, this is where... It, my life, I... I don't know, look, if there was ever a, you know, a human version of the Big Bang where, you know, where all these particles just got attracted to this one force, that's me. Madness just comes to me, right? So I'm sitting there next to me, this guy called Paddy Joyce comes, sits beside me, and he's the assistant, my assistant gardener. So I'm the rabbit's gardener, he's my assistant gardener. I then find out that he's James Joyce's nephew. And I, then I find out he lived with James Joyce in Paris when he was five. I was going, what the hell? And I was telling everybody in the studio... This is James Joyce's nephew. And they were like stunt men and everybody probably never read anything. And they were just like, oh, who's James Joyce? I was going, who's James Who's James Joyce's James Joyce's nephew? I had nobody to tell. You know, apart from zip, 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 the little rabbit thing, Kieran knew. And he was there going, oh yeah, James Joyce. Oh, the great thing about Kieran as well, this is a very funny story. I said, because I'm a bit like my mother. I tend to ask too many questions where, you know, I shouldn't. And I said to him, uh, I said, do you drink like, because you're kind of small. How many do you pints you need? And he said, well, I normally go to do the stuntmen and I wouldn't have any more than a pint because after two pints I get stolen. And I go, what? He goes, people steal me. I go, what? Yeah, he says he's been stolen loads of times. <laughs> you know when students rob cones and stuff? He says students have robbed him, and not kidnapped him, but literally picked him up and brought him off and then just bring him back wherever he belongs to. You know what I mean? Because he's so easy to lift. He's only about three foot tall. So, oh, what an amazing bloke. I'd love to see him again. Tell me about the, what's the sitcom thing you've been doing now? Yeah, the sitcom thing is, you know, it's so hard to try and get a title. So at the moment it's called Close to Me, or I wanted to call it Jason. Because it's about, you see, Radio 2, I mean, the great thing about the BBC and all is that, because we don't have that in Ireland, is the development that they have for things like that. And they go, oh, yeah, why don't you try this? So why don't you try that? And, you know, we go, okay. But in Ireland, you have to do it on telly now. There's no practice. And if it's shit, they go, oh, that was shit. Go away. You know what I mean? There's no, like, kind of try it again and fix the mistakes. It has to work now. Now. That's it. That's the Irish. But here, it's like, you know, run it in, see how it goes. So I did my Radio 2 series, which is on a, coming up to its third series now. And they said, would you like to write a sitcom? And I went, okay. So I wrote this thing. And it basically, it's about me and my wife and she is an administrator in a hospital and then I have a job we have two kids but I have to leave my job because we can't afford a childcare anymore and she makes more money than me but it's just basically kind of what happens to me anyway in real life it's just tiny little story to start off with and then mayhem we had to audition kids for it which was weird what did they have to do? well I have a three year old voice in it which you can't do so you have a five year old to do it that was so funny all you can do is talk to them you can't get them to read lines and it was just, they're just talking like this, going there. And you're going, so what? 
Do you have pets? Yeah. Yeah. They do. <laughs> You're going, oh my God, what else am I going to say? And then you meet the 10 year olds. Oh my God, they're more mature than me. I come in and they go, please to meet you. And they sit down and they go, hello. Yes, will I read this line? Blah, blah, blah. Bing. Yes, I am brilliant. Da, da, da. Because I've met, I met seven Billy Elliots once. What? Where? Yeah, yeah, I met seven. You see the madness? I was doing the Royal Variety Show and I met, and seven Billy Elliots were next door to me and Lee Mack. And they were all identical. Basically, the lifespan of a Billy Elliot's not long. It's only about a year. Because they obviously grow. And they get muscles and beards. <laughs> they have to, and then they can't be Billy Elliot anymore. So the seven Billy Elliots were tap dancing together on stage, all dressed in those, that denim gear. And it was just freaky because they all spoke at the same time, all at the same time, like that. So I was going, So I use Billy Elliot. He's going, Yes, we're Billy Elliot. Yeah, we're Billy Elliot. We're Billy Elliot. Yes, we are Billy Elliot. I'm Billy Elliot. So am I. <laughs> it was just surreal. When so, did you do the Royal Variety? Oh, God, I did it, I think I did it about four years ago. And you see, Lee Mack was on it as well, right? A good friend of mine. And Lee was in the perfect position. He went on after people who changed clothes quickly, an act that basically they just changed clothes really quickly. It's really amazing. So Lee went on with his jacket inside out and that was it. He was grand. But they said to me, you're going to go on after Meatloaf and before Take That. And this is Take That's first ever appearance, reappearance, you know what I mean? And I went, oh, okay. So I didn't see any rehearsals around him. And I thought, oh, it's okay, it'd be fine. Oh, my God. I actually ended up getting about 20 minutes material out of it. It was so bad. So, Meatloaf's on. I didn't realise that there's a whole set that he's in. He's singing with Chamelia as well. And he's singing, It's a better hell, bigger hell, bigger hell, right? Madness. And there's a whole backing singers up on scaffolding. I'll go, right? And then it ends. And it goes, and it goes, fireworks and everything. And the curtains close. And it goes, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Byrne. I walk out going, and you can see them all looking at their programs because they know take that as next, and they're going, "Oh, get out of the way, get out of the way." <laughs> we want to see. And I was saying, even after the end of Meatloaf, they were still rocking in their chairs. They were still going like I'm better than him. And I was talking. I only had seven minutes, and I all I could hear up in the box was Charles and Camilla. All I could hear up in that box was somebody going, "Oh, like that." Right, and the rest of the crowd, I eventually won them over at about three minutes. And then it was too late, it was nearly over. And then I get off and they open the curtains to take that and I'm forgotten, you know. And I'm in the lineup, and me and Lee Mack are hammered because we went for a drink with uh, Paul O'Grady. I says, Paul, do you not do that? He was only introducing someone. He goes, nah, don't do that anymore. Went, why not? He says, because oh, the last time I did it as Lily Savage, I could hear my own high heels as I walked off the stage. Because <laughs> it's like a corporate, it's really hard. So we went back on drunk and, uh, oh, the lineup. Charles and Camilla were just shaking people's hands and they were just saying thank you. And then Charles shook my hand and he went to move on and I held on to it. And he went, I really enjoyed that. And I went, did you really enjoy that? And he goes, yeah. And then Camilla kind of bangs into him. And then the cop, or whatever they are, cops, whoever behind him, start kind of moving in on me. You're going, what's this now? You know, Paddy Irish Republican man, what's he going to do? And I just went, yeah. And Camilla goes, oh yes, yes, you really enjoyed it. And then she goes, oh, his uncle loved you. And that's who was going, ha ha! who's some mad fella that's not allowed in the public because he was in the dark and obviously put in a car and sent back to a palace so I went oh yeah yeah I did a little kind of prop thing I says I, says, I did that for you because I knew you loved the goons and Charles went oh really did you, did you write that for me I went no I didn't write it for you so I just did it for you and he went oh okay and then I said so uh, I'll see you later then for a drink and he went yes I suppose so and he went on, and Camilla just... Camilla was really nice, actually. Was she? Yeah, she looks like some just mad old woman that loves drinking. <laughs> she, you can imagine her just going to a pub, going, oh, what a day that was. 
That was mental. So you said you're going to Australia soon. Yeah. Last time you were there, you mangled yourself up. Yeah, I'm really frightened about going there this time. Tell me what happened. My arm fell off last year in the sea. <laughs> in what way fell off? Well, you see. It's still on now. Look, there is no other career for me apart from telling stories. About, I mean, I'm always waiting for something to happen to me. We went into the sea, myself, Des Bishop, Jarlett Regan, two other comedians, and there was a good few people in the sea. And I don't surf around, and I was just on my buggy board. And we were walking out in the sea. We weren't even... People were going, were you surfing? I went, no. I said, oh, were you swimming? I went, no. What were you doing? Walking. I was walking in the sea. That's how my arm... I was walking, right? Now, I'm walking along in a line with Des and everybody because they're all walking out to get a, catch a wave and, the, and the, everybody else is on the line. And this wave just came in pretty quickly, you know, and it was only up to our... Probably just above our waist, the height of the wave. But it, the way it broke was kind of downwards. So it kind of curled and it just kind of knocked everybody over. And then everybody just stood up going, whoa, apart from me. There's like probably 30 people that were underneath that wave and just all stood up. And I stood up and my arm was dislocated. It was, so was it like hanging, swinging? Yeah, it was hanging behind me. What happened was I was dunked and I felt my arm go, my arms going above my head. And then I felt my left arm pushing back too much. And what it did was it went over my head. That's how you dislocate your arm basically. It goes up and over until, you know, your arm doesn't go any further. But it does if it clicks out. So it went over, over, click and out like a little Lego boy. So I'm running up and down the beach looking for a doctor. <laughs> and again, the Aussies are looking at me. I'm going to be mate Des and going, I have to keep speaking. I have to keep speaking because I don't want to faint. Because your body will just shut you down normally at that, that stage. So eventually a guy gets me in a car and drives me up to the hospital and a doctor comes along, manipulates the arm back in. I mean, I'm in shock well, as just well. just like that, couldn't. Yeah. <sighs> but it went back in easy enough and he went, that should be all right, you know, your arm's back in there because people are up here every day and they get back in again. But again, with the luck I have, I go back to Ireland. I also had to do the whole show for... Uh, that was the start of the festival. It was three weeks ago. You wave your hands around a lot. Yeah, I know. And I was out of it on drugs. Absolutely out of it. Oh, so much so that at some stages of the night, I was looking on which part of the stage I was about to fall on. I was doing some material going, okay, I'll just fall there and I should be okay. And I don't know how I managed to keep it going. And anyway, get home, get a scan into the, you know, the scanning machine, the scary kind of bang, bang, bang. I don't know if you've ever had a full body scan. It's horrible. like. And if you're claustrophobic, you're in trouble because it's a tunnel and it's right at your nose, the ceiling. And the nurse goes, it's going to be a little bit of noise now. I'm going to switch it on. And it goes, bang, 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 like that. For 40 minutes. And if you want to get you out quickly, they can't. It comes out slowly like that. But I just kept calm. And I just talked about sex, actually. That's always calms me down. Really? Yeah, I just talked. To, to the nurse? Or to no, myself? I didn't. There's random, oh, thought about random sex, sex thoughts. <laughs> I wasn't wanking in there. <laughs> Banging away in a, in a scan. People go, could you stay still, please? We're not getting a clear picture. You seem to be pulling on your knob. <laughs> so... So you went back to Ireland, you had the scan. Get the scan, uh, and after the Aussie telling me it should be just pop bang it should be fine, my specialist goes, that's the worst break I've ever seen. <gasps> you have dislocated your arm, your muscles that are on top of your shoulder here, one of the big ligaments there, have basically, when your arm popped out, ripped the big lump of bone away. When, my, when your man popped my arm back in, fair play to him, the bone sat back into the hole. Oh my God. But it's still hurting me now, after a Serious? year. Serious? Yeah, because it had to fuse back. And he goes, I've never even seen anybody do this, he says. So did you have to be strapped up for a bit for it? No, that's the rubbish thing about that injury. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. There's no sling. There's no nothing. You have to put your hand in your pocket. 
people go, oh, uh, so what, you're all right now? You go, no, it's really bad. And they go, oh, yeah. They don't believe you because it's just fusing under your shoulder. There's nothing it can do. And I'm such a whinge bag. Nobody believed me anyway. I'm a bit like, you know, Peter and the Wolf thing, you know. Or Peter and the Wolf. No, no the no, little boy that cried wolf. The boy that cried wolf. Not Peter and the Wolf. That was a tin whistle. <laughs> <laughs> or not the, Was he a whistle? He was, yeah. Yeah, he was. Anyway, so now I'm really terrified of going back there. I'll be paddling in the sea this time. But no doubt a truck's going to run over me neck. That would have been careered off the road. And then it would have been me underneath it with somebody going, I've never seen that happen before. Trucks have never slid off there. And I'll be underneath it going, yeah, that's because I'm here. So You do really well in Australia, don't you? Yeah, I'm going back to play Brisbane for four nights, which is 1,200 a night. And then 800 for Melbourne for a month. And then 1,200 for two nights in Sydney. That's massive. And in Edinburgh, I do really well as, as yeah. well. Didn't you get some kind of award in Edinburgh for... <laughs> yes, I got an award, but the award was presented by my promoter, who just told me it. <laughs> what, what was the award? Because <laughs> there is no award for it. It was like, promoter went in the bar, he went, well, that's it, Jason, it's official. You have now sold the most amount of tickets ever in Edinburgh as a solo act. Do you want a pint? <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. And everybody else around was getting all these trophies. and That's catch group. With 100 people in the room, and, I, and I'm just played to 28,000 people, and I get a pint. You know, I'm, 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 that's what I expect. I never expect anything big, me. That's the way I am. You know, so I just went, all right, great, thanks. So you do really well in both? Yeah, because I'll tell you why. Because they're festivals, so you've time to sow your roots in the one city. So people will come in and out and watch it and watch it and then they spread. So like, because I haven't done a lot of TV here in London and all, so there's no festival in London. If there was a festival in London that I could do for like three weeks or so, that's all it would take for me. And then you get reviews and then people come in. Because I can only come in and out, you know what I mean? So we're trying to lock that down and once we have that down, it'll be fine, you know. How many years have you gone to Edinburgh? When was the Since first? Since I started. 96 was the first 90- time I ever went. Was that when you saw, what was the first stand-up you ever did? Ever in my life? Yeah. Oh, God. I actually have it on VHS. No. Yeah. <gasps> Where was it? It was in their local pub and these nurses that were going off to look after the Romanian AIDS babies. I mean, how Irish a title is that? <laughs> you know, he's just... What? The two nurses going, yeah, we're going to go over and look after the AIDS babies. I went, <laughs> oh, okay. So there was this AIDS epidemic that went on and was killing loads of kids. So they got asked me to host this night. They went, you're funny, you can do it. When I can't do that. So I ended up dressing up in a tank top. I bought badges off Bertha Card saying, I am one. You know those big badges? Frizzed me hair up like Jedward. That's how I had me hair. I'd had the idea first. Got flary kind of clowny trousers, different coloured shoes. I went up and did loads of uh, material about willies and women's bits and horrendous stuff because I'd seen Billy Connolly do it I thought that's what you did and I just sent up saying oh you know when you're you know when men like you know their wheelies are doing that thing and it's such a mess and my mum was there and all the neighbours and the priest was there and the nuns from the church and you should see it on stage there's people starting to get up and walk across me to the bar and I try to look around them down the hall going at people you know so it was awful if it was such a bad experience did you just keep trying or? no I didn't do it again then for that was I think I was about 20 then and then I didn't do it again until I was about 24 really not Too doing that on. again yes so what, what made you do it again well the guys in the band that were on that night said to me look will you come up again and just try it again we'll do music and you do a bit of stand up so that's how I did it but this time there was a music crowd there obviously a little bit more trendy you know like now I'd never do that now in my experience now as a comic if a band asked me to be on with them I go no way what? And even then I went, oh, it's a good idea, okay, yeah. Yeah, music, they'll like it, yeah. So I did it, you know. And uh, I read out top tips from Viz. 
Do you remember them? Yeah. I just had them written down, just reading them out. And they're going, oh, that's brilliant. And me going, oh, yeah, I just stole that from the opposite. And then I brought a teddy bear out and started to cut that up. Take its head off and all and do things like this. Then I went into a, a club in town and just started doing it then. And then in 96, I went to do So I Think You're Funny. And you got into the final of that. Tommy Tiernan won it, who's Irish. I came second, who's Irish. John Hennison came third, who was Irish. And uh, fourth place, which is never mentioned, but because they liked him so much, they said Patrick MacDonald was fourth and he was Irish. It was four Irish people for a second, third, fourth. And so you did that and then you kind of went back and you got nominated for the Perrier Newcomer yeah. a couple of years well, later. Just to skip back, just a oh, little yeah. bit before that was Channel 4. When I went back in 97, I did my first ever solo show and Channel 4 were doing a show called Edinburgh Bust. And that was my kind of shoe up in Edinburgh. That was like the thing where they'd follow comedians yeah. around. And of course, I, and now I wouldn't let them do it. I go, no way. Really? Oh, they find something bad. No. Then I went, on telly? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Watch it every month. All my moves. Brilliant. You know, I mean, my whole outlook in life has changed so much. Because once you become a comic, you become a miserable shit. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, I don't do that. No way. That's going to affect my career. But years ago, I would have done Big Brother, I would have went into the jungle, I would have eaten a kangaroo's testicle, I would have shoved it up my arse, I wouldn't care. going to be a bit of a laugh. But now I'm going, oh no, you know, it's not cool now. Not so did they follow you everywhere? Yeah, for the six weeks. For six weeks. That was great fun. It worked out really well because then everyone in Edinburgh was watching the show, going, oh, that's my house. And then they went, who's that guy? And then they went down to see me. And I sold out in the second week of the festival. And I've sold out every single year and week since. That's amazing. Yeah. See, again, you've just built up the spot and the reviews and did a little, little. And you've started playing massive venues as well. You did the Edinburgh Conference Centre, right? Do you mind doing the bigger venue? Well, you see, the Assembly Hall is not a big venue. It's in two levels. So there's 400 on each level. So when you're standing on the stage, they're all wrapped around you. And when you play theatres, like I played the Apollo, the Shaftesbury Avenue Apollo, that's really, that's like playing a, a small room because they're all in three levels. So they're right on top of you and right in on top of you. So I like stadium, I wouldn't like to play all that kind of like Eddie Izzard and all this really, he loves doing all that, but I couldn't do anything like that. You did the Royal Albert Hall once, didn't you? Yeah, but that was, that was a charity thing. There was loads yeah. of us on. Yeah, but I wouldn't do that again. I mean, I would do it again for charity, but I wouldn't ever do a solo thing, no matter no. how big I got, because 5,000 people in the Albert Hall, you go... So anyway, I was doing this thing and blah, blah, and you do, the, you do your line. And then this is what happens. It goes, oh, it comes at you like that. So it's not immediate. And the smell of booze is unbelievable. Seriously? Yeah, you can smell booze coming no. towards you. It was just unbelievable. So it's 5,000 people blowing at you. Because when you laugh, you go, <laughs> so they're all going, and I was going, holy shit. It's very hard to do the stand-up because it's all about timing. So your timing's knocked by about two-second delay. So you've got to just try and... Yeah. And it was weird. You're watching people laugh and you can't hear anything. And the next minute it goes... <laughs> so, actually, the biggest one I ever played was the 3000 seat. It was the Apollo in Hammersmith. That was when you did live at the Apollo. Yeah. That was on the, it was on the TV, was it tail end of... Yeah, it was... Last year. Tail end of last year and, and started this year. So you've done lots of TV things in Ireland. You yeah. just did another series, a new series. Yeah, called The Burn Ultimatum. Yeah, a panel show, which was surreal. What was the premise? Well, it was great because, again, we had no rehearsal or any type of uh, run-up to us. So it was like, put it on now. Press play and record. Right. Don't like that. You're not getting another series. <laughs> That's what happened. John Bishop came on that. Yeah, John was brilliant on it. Rich Hall. To be honest, we ha- yeah, Rich Hall was on it. It would have worked really well if, again, with RT, with Irish television, they've no money. So they go, will you do this? Yeah. Okay, we've no set. We're going to stick loads of matchboxes together. Is that okay? No. Okay, we'll do it anyway. And one of the hard things on it was, which is unheard of over here, 
was it was really hard to edit because we needed another camera, but we didn't have it in the budget. <laughs> they couldn't afford another camera. So in the studios, we had out of 10 cats, and everybody has a camera each on them. Well, every cameraman on my show had two people per camera. So if somebody was saying something, another guy said something, the camera swings over to the left. Oh, it was awful. But it's very difficult. So, I mean, to be honest, the stuff I'm doing over here with the sitcom, I mean, there's nothing better than getting a sitcom on BBC and making it work. Obviously, you don't want it on BBC and then it being crap. With this sitcom, you were saying like it's it's about, you know, you and your fictional wife and your kids, but it's kind of based on truth. You talk yeah. about your wife a lot in your show. Yeah, but that's not really her. Well, I was going to ask, because she's always really cross. Evil. <laughs> yeah, but you see, at home now, I would make her cross all the time, but she's not a cross person. Because I do. I make her cross. Does know? she mind? No. The way you talk No, because it's exaggerated. You know what I mean? It's so not her. But does she know? get a stick or anything from people? No. If anything, she gets sympathy. Especially at gigs, they go, oh, how do you live with that arsehole? You know, because I tell them what I do and what I say and then she's gone. But I mean, it is some of the lines that obviously I'm making up that she said, but one of the lines she definitely did say, clear as day, was when I got the award in Edinburgh for People's Choice and I was told on the phone and I told my wife and we had just had an argument before that and she said, well, why don't you ring your mother? She might lick your arse. That's the type of line Brenda comes up with. She's like that. She's not cross, right. you know? She's more witty than anything else, you know? Yeah. There's nothing more stressful than a comedian's yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedian's wives, they're just <laughs> tormented with these idiots that live with them who are constantly trying to think of childish stuff. My 10-year-old said to me the other day, Dad, we not do comedy anymore? I went, why? He goes, well, everything has to be a laugh and it's silly and it's ha 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 ha. He goes, like, could you not just be serious for like for once? I am 10, you know. He goes, I wouldn't mind a bit of a serious dad. And I went, oh, okay, okay, I could do that. You've done stand-up for kids, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. What age? Uh, from four to 11 or something. Did you test that out on your kids? Was it stuff No, that- my kid, no. What you do with that is, so the challenge in Edinburgh was you had to do your adult material for kids. You had to take out all the effing and blinding and all the sexual references and try and make it child-friendly, which is, just doesn't work a lot. So what you do is, because um, I do, I'm quite good at doing improv, I just stood there just talking to them. Where at one stage I had all the kids convinced they were going to go home, buy a pet cat, stick a pogo stick on its back, and pogo stick to school. <laughs> and they were loving it. So it's that kind of stuff with them. And you can, oh, when you ask them questions, they're like 50 more times funnier than adults. If I ask an adult a question in the audience, it's like, yes, no, or I'm a mechanic. Kids go, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you what I did, right? Okay, I my brother's a sweet, right? He's a sweet. I mean, what? Yeah, well, he's not really a sweet. He kind of looks like one. He's kind of like funny color hair, like like kind of a sweet, like a sherbet. Anyway, but that's what they do. <laughs> and you're just going, oh, my God. And they just blah, 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 blah. So it's really tough to do it, but it's great crack. And they don't like poo and wee and willy. Oh, really? Yeah, when you go up and go, poo, willy, they go, yeah, what? what? I say that. What? So it's much better to take them into a little land. And just go nuts with them. Do you already start to think about Edinburgh? Don't yeah. you have to come up with your title by like... Yeah, well, it's already called Jason Byrne 2010. Oh, is it? Yeah, I was asked in January. What's the name of your Edinburgh show? I went, oh, I've just finished reading the reviews <laughs> of the last show. So what happens is I have a kind of... Lucky enough, I have this process, this kind of yearly timetable thing. So the show, like definitely in January, like the whole Edinburgh show has to go. So I start working on a whole new show. And then when I do different shows around Ireland, I have to sometimes do a whole new show when I go back to the same place. So I start gathering up all the stuff that way. And then I start picking the best stuff for that to go to Melbourne, which is in March. And then Melbourne, I've got like all those weeks out there on my own anyway to develop the show more and more and more. And then that's the show that goes to Edinburgh. So you just come up with a title and then... 
Yeah, well, Jasonburn 2010 is quite a nice one because the idea I have for the start of the show in Melbourne is from 2005, every year I've been there, there's a clip of each year, like the X Factor, that's going to be on. And then it goes, Jasonburn 2010. Like that. (laughs) And it's cool because it just looks deadly with loads of music being played over it. You've got, so before you go to Melbourne, you've got a London date coming up. You're doing a bunch of dates and then you're mm. coming back, you're doing the Udderbelly yeah, I on know. the South Bank in June and then Edinburgh, obviously, and you're doing a run in October at the Les Square Theatre. Yeah, that's for five days or something. I see. Oh, if you go onto my website, jasonburn.ie, which is all new and spangly, we've got gig dates up there and we've got YouTube connections and my webmaster's going to show me how to do the videos on my own. Okay. And the audio, which I'm going to do when I get to Melbourne because I can sit down without children sitting on my head and try and do it. And it's jasonburn.ie. Yeah, which is Ireland. Right. And the website's ready now. So everyone can find everything there. Yeah. Jay, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Marsh. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.